0: we are tonight's entertainment you can't handle the truth the fire rises pizza time you're a wizard harry So to be you know how much i sacrificed. you think that's air you're breathing in? groovy i don't have friends i got family we are sex before
1: craft services hello trent hello parth it's nice to see you likewise
2: Put down my phone of uh, uh, fiddling on the TD Bank app, and I'll focus all my attention on you. You, you're looking Thanks. well.
1: Thank you. I'm looking well because, and I mean, I feel like you were going to ask me, but should I just tell you what I had to eat?
2: Speaking of you, yeah, I I am curious of that. But in in in, the, in regards to you looking well, only less than ten minutes ago, Jackson Clark walked by the webcam and said that the lighting was particularly unflattering and that you looked yellow and like you had jaundice and that you're walls looked green despite you not them not being green and them actually being like blue or gray
1: thank you for bringing but that up what have you been eating i it's not the lighting it's my camera i have a shitty 1080p like 20 dollar camera that i got to attach to my monitor and it's really terrible but we make do c'est la vie. yeah uh you country
2: know girls make do
1: it's country girls make do that's like the um, american
2: version of Sale la vie.
1: Uh, most recently, actually I had little bites
2: because Mm.
1: we were about to record, but then, uh, Trent's laptop is a little, it's a little silly sometimes and it had to restart. And so we had, we had a brief like 10 minute break and I was like, Hmm, I'm a little hungry. And I had some little bites,
2: which, which ones There are different kinds
1: like the, the normal ones, just chocolate chip.
2: Oh, okay. There's also like coffee, potty. The party party is good. There's like a coffee cake one. There's like a brownie one. Yeah, you saying that my describing <clears throat> my laptop situation is silly is really flattering because I feel like given your complicated history with it, I I wouldn't be offended if you used harsher words. Like like I have no system storage. and need to restart it when Audacity
1: says I don't have enough. Um. I try to keep things nice and profesh on on air, you know. But this does all get me wondering what you've been eating most recently. Uh, I
2: came back from the screening that you may or may not have attended. Um, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> and so um, I played Rocket League, and uh, instead of nourishing my body, and then I was about to go on the pod, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to break part's one rule." And so I ate some grapes, and Can
1: then break there- your one rule
2: and then i'm sitting at my desk and there's a bag of reese's valentines candy sit- seated here next to me and parth saw me polish off like five or six of them right before recording i was just killing time chatting to you so i could keep snacking you know
1: yeah that sounds pretty awesome you know what else is pretty awesome
2: uh, this to transition into the queuing intro. the
1: intro Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week, we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, we're continuing our discussion with who?
2: Oh, are you talking about our interview with cinematographer Mark Irwin? Who also worked on a bunch of other cool films like RoboCop 2, and Scream, and Teen Beach Movie,
1: and- Wait, just Teen Beach Movie 1?
2: no, also Team movie 2 and oh, The okay. Fly. Um, I feel like we didn't talk about The Fly enough in the interview. No, we
1: didn't. I uh uh, he had a lot to say about Brandon Cronenberg. I honestly can't remember now how or much or David of it was Cronenberg. On it. I think or, you sorry. just have you just have Brandon
2: yeah. Cronenberg on the mind for
1: Infinity we, Pool. Yes, no, he he talks he talks a lot about David Cronenberg. I don't remember how much of it was on the air and how much of it was off the air, but um, so there good, He's good had stuff a really
2: cool past of horror movies and then some comedy movies and now some teen beach movies
1: yeah it's pretty cool. um he was really nice uh nice enough to talk with us uh for an extended period of time a Little,
2: a little old parth and i
1: yeah little old and trent parth. and i
2: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah i mean i guess there's nothing else i really want to say is there anything else you want to say before we just get right into it
2: Um, do the fans know what, no. I, I guess we can, how about we keep them on the hook by telling them that we'll tell them the next movie at the end, after the Uh, interview. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, if you'd like to know what film we're gonna do next for the, the Valentine Love Extravaganza, full of hearts and, um, and arrows, then stick around until... (coughs) Which, yeah, Parth is gonna be dressed up as Cupid in a diaper, and he's gonna be mm-hmm. floating, and he'll shoot you with an arrow, and then you'll get to go on a date with someone.
1: Best part of it is, it's not even a costume; it's just what I wear all day.
2: Yep. So, uh, enjoy the interview, and stick around here. Here, the New Brunswick residents are honking because they're excited for the interview. And let's yeah. let's let's cue the interview, and we'll see it. We'll see at the end.
1: Cue the interview. Um, Yeah, I I guess I just wanted to ask you if there were what you would say like the most difficult scene to get right while shooting was and the scene that you um, when you watched the movie you were most proud of. And they could be the same scene, but I was just wondering uh, what that
0: was for you. That's a tough question because they all kind of we had a really good first AD, first assistant director, and he coordinated things well. There were no real troublesome scenes. The uh, the foyer of Cat's uh, House, where people were sneaking in and out and people knocking on the door, that was a difficult location in a lot of ways because the ceiling was was paneled oak. It wasn't like well, but we'll just stick a light up there. It took a lot of engineering from because when you want to when you want to see a shot, the ceiling oh can't see that and. You'd, in other scenes, we'd seen the ceiling during the daytime. So that one was a problem. Shooting the scene where Julia goes into uh, uh, her sister's room and then Dolly's over and looks out the window and we zoom into her alone in the swing. That was one of the more complicated ones. We had to build a special dolly just out of pipe and we have these um, skateboard wheel kind of attachments that you can make a dolly that is just a wagon basically that goes on pipe. That was kind of a squeeze, but, uh yeah, by and large, it was a really good ensemble thing. Uh, when, uh, they, uh, Grumholtz and Joey go into the, I think it's the tech room or the, the shop classroom where, uh, Heath is doing some, making something mechanical that, that kind of kept evolving because what about this? What? Oh yeah. And suddenly we're lighting all over the place. Uh, and the shot eventually comes together. It, that can—that's the only thing that will dictate how something is shot, where the human chemistry is. Because saying, "Well, the camera can only go here," and the director would say, "Well, why can't it go over there?" And I, you know, I knew that. And funny, funny—the first day of shooting, we lit this, and in those days there was film, a film camera, a video tap, which is an extraction device on the camera itself. The camera, when it rolls, flickers like this. And so that's the, the shutter working. So that's what the video tap would see when it was rolling. However, when it was on the monitor, so when it was parked, when we're lighting, it's just a bad black or color TV image at that point. And Gil, we lit this whole thing. I think it was in the hallway. We had sunbeams and shafts of light and backlight and a little bit of mood. And Gil came in and looked at this monitor and said, and then at the actors and he said, Looks great, too dark for comedy. Call me when you're ready, and then he walked away. Ah, so the two ways of dealing with that was to make it brighter, which in terms of film ratio, key to fill how much, how much, how dark this shadow is, and how bright you want to make it. So it's kind of like me, like one to one, or you can start tweaking the monitor or a mixture of the two. So we would brighten it up and tweak the monitor. Oh yeah, that's that's what we need. Because he was used to sitcom sets, which were lit like the Fourth of July—boom, everywhere. Uh, so we would approximate that in as much as what he saw, and then slowly, when he stopped and talked to the script supervisor, we darken, we darken a few lights and inch by inch work it back to what kind of what we were hoping. In the end, this was a, a photochemical print. It wasn't a. It wasn't on a, a digital print, so in the end, you couldn't change part, parts of the scene. You had to make it all brighter or all darker. And he he, being the uh, the director said, yeah, let's make that brighter. So as much as we could get the mood down to play, uh, I mean, the scene in the bar where they uh, they kind of offer Heath the, the deal, uh, that was lit down. It was a biker bar, you know, and it couldn't be at Disneyland. Uh, but in Gil's mind, everything was bright and cheerful. And I said, well, this is how the story goes. The darkness before dawn, we can't make the the darkness if it's light. The The, the ending is when the, the sun shines, and before that, it's dark and gloomy. Yeah, yeah, I don't believe in that. All right. <laughs> so that's how films get their look one way or the other.
1: Nice. Um, I guess moving out of strictly 10 things uh, zone, mm-hmm. I, I was wondering, you've as you said, you worked a lot in horror and then you worked a lot in comedy and those two genres kind of uh, get paired together a lot of the times. And I was wondering if you found from a cinematography point of view that there are certain skills on one that informs the other or the, if you find that they're similar in certain ways.
0: Yeah. I think my job or any cinematographer's job is to tell the story with pictures. And sometimes the story is... Not written. Uh, it's it's a mood. Um, comedies tend to be verbal, unless you're uh, Laurel and Hardy and Pratt Falls tell the story. And Dumb and Dumber was in many ways non-verbal. They weren't cracking jokes. They were writing. They were writing that little scooter, and they had frozen snot, and they got to you know all that stuff was kind of embraced you with the visual. Uh, horror films are in many ways the same. The mood of something. Whether it's Jeff Goldblum turning into a fly, or uh, Drew Barrymore being chased around, for example, in Scream, the opening of Scream starts with a girl with ash-white blonde hair, a white sweater, white pants, in a white house, in in outside and inside, and she's cooking a Jiffy Pop in the kitchen. Everything, and I'm thinking, well, how can I get to the scary? part of this? How can I scare people? Everything's white. So, and I use this a lot in different lectures. I'll just run that scene and, exp- and talk all the way through it. She goes into the, the TV room, answers the phone, uh, hangs it up, it rings again, answers the phone, and then we we touch the camera. We, we tilt the uh, thing. She goes back and forth a couple of times unseen by an audience but felt by an audience is the fact that I've now darkened I've added more shadows she leaves room on a room in that kind of walkway with with the windows when she comes back it's actually darker and there's more tree uh, pattern everywhere she's now in and out of shadows she in the, in the TV room we're making it slightly darker and then more and more and more the, the chair crashes through the door the, the glass door. She runs. Now the, the room is full of smoke. So that is my job. There's no um, soliloquies. There's no big dramatic moments. This is all very tactile. You you have to feel it. And the music does it. The performance does it. And the lighting does it. And if I kept everything bright and white, because that's how it started, that journey wouldn't uh, have landed with anyone being, in this case, killed. So the, the lighting style followed the story. And that's really my job to start with her uh, being coy, but playing with a knife in the knife holder, you know, they can only suggest one thing. And in the end, she's cut with that knife and she's dragged along in, in the grass. Um, that is what the mechanics of filmmaking is for a cinematographer. And I tell people I, who work with me and who I lecture that all stays in your back pocket. You don't talk about that at all. To the director certainly to the actors it's all about story it's all about mood and it's all about rhythm and if uh i'm a musician as well so i would track how a film would would play if this intensity is felt or uh seen or understood um i have a friend who's a uh i kind of grew up with howard shore in toronto and you know he's an oscar-winning composer uh Yeah,
1: Lord of the Rings. Early
0: on in in Toronto, the old days, I just as an aside in 1975, uh, I rented uh, the downstairs of a house, and Howard and his family rented the upstairs of a house in this little part of town called Cabbage Town. And Lauren Michaels owned the house, and he he had left earlier to go to to New York to do this variety show. Nobody knew. Um, So Howard, but he used to joke and say, you know, Nobody walks out of a theater humming the cinematography. They're always humming my theme song. Okay, true enough. But nobody knows what they saw. They just felt what I showed them, whether it's the fly or scanners or 10 Things I Hate About You. You want to take people on a, a visual journey. They're, it's not radio. They're watching something. And if it's someone's eyes need to be seen, um, that's important. But if the mood has to be dark, I'm still going to make sure the eyes are are seen because you know someone a 40 foot high person on a big theater screen and you're looking at their eyes this little this little part of the screen that's how we relate to each other it's kind of an animal instinct.
2: It's amazing to know that Lauren Michaels uh, was owned your house at some point, which is an interesting phenomenon. Well, I rent
0: he owned the house and and <laughs> would rent out to people that he knew. In fact, uh, I wonder what happened to him. M- yeah, yeah. My
2: landlord isn't nearly as exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, I have another scream question and it's that uh yeah. apparently the Stu's party at the end was uh apparently scene 118 was 21 days of nights of straight nights and uh I was wondering how how if you have anything you could say about that?
0: Well, I'm going to encourage you to Google these words, Wes Craven fires Mark Irwin. Oh, from Scream. <laughs> Whoa. So, uh, I, I've talked about this a lot. It's one of my least favorite recollections. Oh, gosh. Uh, this was the third film I did with Wes. And there are things that directors will say to you, and then there are things that directors will do. So I, I I'll let you get into the details by watching. It's on YouTube. It's Uh, I don't uh, talk about this very much anymore.
2: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at an article as we speak.
0: Yeah. So I can, what, if you run that YouTube thing, uh, that is me verbalizing what I don't want to say right now. Russ was a great director. Fair enough. um, But he uh, overestimated his ability to direct that particular location, which was a difficult three-and-a-half-story Victorian house on the top of a hill. When I say a top of a hill, it wasn't like on a rise. It was a hill like this. It overlooked the Pacific. So to get to this house, you had to go around the hill to get to it. So normally when you have a night exterior, you have your set piece and then places to put lights. Well, any any place to put a light was down the hill. We couldn't, we couldn't light it. So if you look closely, I'll tell you this secret about Scream. (laughs) We use these, these crane, they, Um, known colloquially as cherry pickers, but in the business they're called condors. And they are a a hydraulic arm that will go up to 60 feet, 100 feet, 120 feet, and then you can stack everything on it. Normally it's for an operator, a guy doing brickwork or something. But in the film business, these condors go everywhere. And that's what I would have used to light this. And for most of the film, that's what we did light for night exteriors. There was no place to put it. As I said, the hills went down like that. If we finally found a place, it would be lighting the grass if we had to get it up and out of the shot. So we ended up with a production designer parking it in the shot, and he built a garage around the base of it for the, the hero angle. So then now the set is here and the lights are above it as if we were in a studio and we could light everything from that position. So if you look closely... Nowadays, digitally, you can remove anything. You can't light any, everything digitally, but you can remove things. There's a black, greasy stick. We call it the stick, but it's the arm of the condor covered in black grease. And it was it's, it's standard uh, consumer style. It was bright orange. All the ones in Hollywood are painted black. In Vancouver Toronto, that's just the way it is. Um, so if you look closely, hmm, wait a minute. Uh, that was the solution to, to lighting it. It was an immense number of nights. I, the, the record for me is uh, on the Blob: seventeen weeks of nights oh. in in Hollywood
1: Jesus and uh, surrounding Hollywood,
0: and then in a place called Abbeville, Louisiana. So that's almost four months of nights
2: of being a and, nocturnal creature.
0: Yeah, and it's funny when you you know you go to a you're shooting out of town, and you go to a, a hotel and say you need a quiet room and. Does it have blackout curtains? And well, why do you need What does it matter? Well, I need to sleep. Sleep all day. You, well, you sleep all day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we work all night. What? People just can't get their head around that. They said, well, have you ever seen a film that takes place at night with smoke and wet streets and explosions? Yeah, all the time. Well, how do you think those were shot? They're shot all night for months. And the crew has to somehow sleep when they're not shooting. And that happens to be daytime. So,
1: Yeah. Trent and I a year ago had to shoot a lot of short films um, that were all set in the nighttime.
0: And
1: that was only like two or three days of filming. Needless to say,
2: all of our movies take place during the daytime now.
0: (laughs) No, here's something interesting about day and night. I did a film for, for Fox called um, Deck the Halls. And it was a Christmas uh, decoration kind of competition between Danny DeVito and Matthew Broderick and their neighbors across the street. And we shot it in Vancouver and in a place called White Rock, which is we, it's funny, two exits later, you're at the U S border. That's how far North it was still how far South 49th parallel. But in the summertime, the sun goes down at about 10 30 and the sun comes up again at about quarter after four. So, the, the production designer built these uh, you, if you see the film it's it's a neighborhood basically two real houses and a gazebo and a street and a garage and pine trees and we only have five hours to shoot at night he said yeah you're going to have to tent it and and then he said I don't do tents what so if you see the film we, he built this on a real street everything was to code built, so we ended up getting a tent to make daytime nighttime. Uh, Normally you build stuff in a studio to do that. We had to build a studio around what this guy built. So yes, nights can be difficult, but having enough night to shoot, that would have been a six month shoot and uh, to do five hours a day.
2: Do you ever shoot day for night?
0: Yes. And day for night works extremely well. If you've seen, there's a film called uh, that Conrad Hall shot called Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here, and, uh, and bits and pieces of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That was a real tradition in 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 Westerns and in Hollywood movies. In Day for Night, I'm sure you've seen La Nuit Americaine, the Truffaut film, also called Day for Night. And that's what they call it. Day for Night is American night. Uh, and But you have to be a purist about it and say, the sun is now the moon, mm. and that Cassidy's shadow. It works great if you're uh, on uh, riding horses through through the trees or the. Uh, what you don't want to do is see the sky and think, well, wait a minute, that looks like a white sky. Uh, now we can we can literally cut the sky out and make it black and make a star field. Uh, digitally, it's it's been made much easier. But in the old days, day for night was difficult. Day for night does not work in a city at uh, during the day. And well, this is a night scene. Well. These lights aren't lighting anything. It's, you got to do this. There is wh- what I call dusk for night and or, or magic hour, the point at which the sun has set and it is not this moon. doesn't matter where the moon is. There's enough ambient light to now see headlights, see uh, reflections in the street, you know, the 7-Eleven reflected in the water kind of thing. We always went down the street at night. And I've been able to cheat things to get enough establishing shots that you can do that. Sometimes even to do an establishing shot, which is kind of blue and has this midtone of night and day. So it's dusk for night and then match that to the coverage of somebody on a driveway or something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's far more complicated than it should be. But by and large, I tend to use a condor with park hands, paint the landscape and then light the actors faces. Uh, yes, day for night is. There was a film, you guys should look this up, called Sky Riders, I think, or Sky Raiders, uh, a, a Persian cameraman who eventually moved to Toronto, a guy called Osama Rawi uh, shot it. And it's all about people in hang gliders that rescue the, you know, the the, the beautiful girl's been kidnapped and they're in a castle on the top of a hill in Greece or someplace. And the only, well, the only way to get in is to fly in. Oh, I know. We'll use hang gliders. So, and in the dead of night, you think, how are they going to do this? So they shot it all day for night. And it was, uh, Ozzy, uh, that was his nickname, revealed that he couldn't get day for night to work using color film. And he realized at night, and this is true for everywhere, what, what, what is lighting night, they don't even need to have a full moon, but it helps, is the bounce of the sun off the moon. And that's the moonlight. And the color spectrum is not red, orange, yellow, green. It's just blue. So he said, I shot tests in black and white and we we tinted it, colored it all blue. And that worked great because it got rid of all, in this case, there were kind of yellow rocks and green trees and it couldn't get rid of those daylight colors. So he said, we'll just shoot it in black and white. So I've done that ever since. And it's made a big difference.
1: I guess the last sort of... Um other filmmaker whose collaborations I want to talk to you about is someone you brought up, uh, David Cronenberg. You worked on a lot of movies with him. And uh, I was just wondering if uh, you could talk a little bit about that working relationship.
2: And and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, did you say you were like working on your thesis when you were first started being his DP or filling in as his DP?
0: Yeah, well, uh, uh, thesis adjacent. I'd gone to film school in Toronto And you have to understand, in those days, uh, even now, but certainly in those days, there was a huge filmmaking community of very, very stylized and uh, successful film directors. But they were all in French Canada. And I was in English Canada. I was in Ontario, Quebec, Montreal. That's where the cool guys were and us guys in Ontario, even though it included Ivan Reitman uh, and David. They were the guys who were Becoming successful, but they weren't as, as praised, shall we say, as the guys in Quebec. So when I was in film school in Toronto and I graduated in 73, all through 1972 and 73, I was studying David's films. And there are two films that he started with. He was the ultimate filmmaker. He would write, direct, produce. He would shoot it. And his mother, who was a pianist, would do the score. His sister, Denise, would do the wardrobe. It was, that was filmmaking at its, at its most elementary. And I, as an English Canadian, was totally entranced with David with what he was doing. If you've ever seen Stereo or Crimes of the Future, and this is not the latter day one, uh, Crimes of the Future in the uh, late 60s, he was making statements that I felt, I got to follow this guy. And then then he started doing Shivers and rabid, Uh, And I'd see these films and write about them. So by the time I got to work with him, and this was completely by accident, I had met him kind of a, a year before, and he'd say, yeah, how you doing? Pleased to meet you. He didn't really um, didn't want to work with me. Uh, the producer wanted me because I'd done another film with him, but David was kind of the third part, third corner of this triangle, never made the connection. Then I was kind of parachuted into this film. I landed on a, in Edmonton on the set. On a Friday, we started shooting on Monday. And so my prep was reading the script on the plane and filling in the blanks. Luckily, I knew what blanks to fill in. I'd more than seen his films. I'd studied them and written essays and then a final thesis about David Cronenberg, And I that's somewhere in the catacombs of York University from 1973. So 50 years ago, I don't know where it is. But David was, uh, in many ways, we had this kind of brotherhood. And never talked very much after the first week of shooting. He said, You seem to really know my style, and this is he didn't want to say this is working out, but it did work out. So, from there was a drag racing film, which was kind of a red, white, and blue outdoor race film with cars. Uh, he was hired because he owns and races vintage uh, uh, English sports cars, which is radically different than drag racing, but anyway, he knew the, the story. Two months later, we were in Toronto shooting The Brood, which was a a kind of a thriller, an autobiographical thriller, kind of based on his relationship with his ex-wife and his daughter. And then went to Scanners and then Videodrome, thinking I'm missing something *The fly. Um, So David and I didn't have a lot. Allegedly, they're, they're supposed to be on every film. And I'm sure this is more true for directors and production designers and wardrobe and hair and makeup. When it came to me as a cinematographer, we kind of knew each other and he would, he would we were supposed to have the talk. The talk about the look, the look, the look. And he never said, we never talked about that. The only time he ever said here's how I want it to look, he said on the Dead Zone, make it look like Norman Rockwell shot it. And I don't know if you know who Norman Rockwell was, but Is a a painter from Vermont who Saturday uh, Saturday Evening Post. That was his kind of view of Americana. Um, What's different, and I'll point this out. Working with Wes Craven, Wes would come to the set completely prepared. He storyboarded, he shot listed, he did everything, and he'd give everyone a shot list, and it was numbered, and it was very organized. And he'd he'd say, "Well, let's do the first block, the first setup." That's the first shot, okay. And there was no saying, what about, no, 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 right here, here's what it says. And then he'd sit in the corner and do the crossword puzzle in the New York Times. <laughs> Unlike most of us who kind of hunt and peck and figure out words, he would just, like like a buzzsaw, just run it through. Uh, and so we would do what Wes wanted. David, completely different. No storyboards, no shot list. When I worked with him, he wanted the actors, the script supervisor and me on the set. And then he, and then everyone not only had to leave, quite often you do blockings and everyone's there watching and you feel this kind of pressure of, let's go. And what are you doing? So he said, everyone leaves the set and leave the studio. Or if you're in a house, go outside, go to craft service. And that's what they did. You He wanted silence, block it, rehearse, let's go again, let's go again. And then from that would evolve the, the shot not the shot list as much as how the visual style and it comes from the location. It comes from the story. It comes from an actor. If he looks out a window and turns like this, he said, yeah, that's the angle. That's why let's play it off of that. And then he turns and looks and we had a, a different angle. So he, as a filmmaker, he was organic enough to do that. And I remember the only time we ever had storyboard was on the dead zone with a car, a truck crash early on in the film that the, The accident that puts uh, Chris Walken into a coma, he's in his Volkswagen and this car, this truck comes over the hill. And so the effects guys uh, had to work out sparks and this and that. By the way, there was a pounding rain, the muddy road and sparks flying out of it. I'm thinking, hmm, this is a very special road that allows sparks to be uh, flying everywhere during a rainstorm. And anyway. So a storyboard artist had written it all up, drawn it all up, and David is looking through the viewfinder and he's got the storyboard here and he's looking through the viewfinder, looking at the storyboard. And he finally says, why can't I get this in here, in the storyboard? The storyboard in the viewfinder. And this is why I've always hated storyboard artists because they are cartoonists. They provide a visual representation of what they think the story should be. And as, if you've read enough comics, you know that every frame is different. That you, A storyboard artist, a cartoonist, would never draw a two-shot and a single and a single. That's standard dramatic coverage. But there's always a new angle. So suddenly you have a page of dialogue and 28 shots. And the producer is saying, well, the storyboard artist drew all this. How are we going to get it all So, David, I finally said, David, here's how this works. This is... The perspective, the compression of of a 300 mil lens and the field of view of a 20 wide angle field of view and the compression of. So this guy doesn't follow the mechanical laws of optics that we all have to follow and in putting all the imagery into the into the lens and onto the film. So he I remember was out in the pouring rain, just crumbles this thing up, throws it away. Like I don't need that. So that. I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in the middle. I work for Wes. I work for David. I work for Gil Younger. And everyone has a different method. So I have to be this uh, fly on the wall to observe everything and then make it happen. And it is, this is what I tell film students. No matter what you think, this is art with a stopwatch. You can be as creative as you want. The sun is going down while you're eating breakfast. But so don't pretend that quarter to sunset. Oh my God. Do you realize? Yeah. Yeah. I realized that at six 30 this morning and it's now six 30 in the afternoon. You have a page and have to go and the sun goes down at seven. So it's all about momentum. It's all about hitting the ground running. Okay. This next setup. Okay. New. Okay. Next setup, And that's the instinct, whether it's on paper or it's up here. And for David, it was all up here and he really would respond. If you, if you watch the fly, I mean, Jeff was doing so much, and they, they have ideas. Well, you know, these flies are always twitching. Do some of that. And they, okay. And then it would, it would grow and grow as opposed to six months earlier, someone had drawn a bunch of cartoons and said, there's your movie. Just do that. Well, there's no inspiration in that. I can't work off of that if someone's drawn these silly pictures. So that's just me talking.
2: Very interesting. Um, Parth, do you think it's time for the Big Kahuna final question? Oh, I I think it's time. Nothing to be worried about. Um. So our big, (laughs) our big Kahuna final question is: What is the last great, not good, film that you have watched as a viewer? And it could be a new,
1: and it can be a first-time watch or the most
0: most recent.
2: You mean Uh, the last thing that really wowed you? And it could be an old movie or a new
0: movie. Ah, that what has really wowed me, um, is and I look at it. From a cinematography point of view, I'm an ASC member and I'm an academy member. So I have that perspective, not not just kind of the man on the street. The film most recently that has impressed me the most is All Quiet on the Western Front. And this is a film Mm. that's been made quite a few times. Yes. Um, A a German film shot by a new ASC member called James Friend. And in terms of cinematic storytelling, this nailed it. Extremely good. Uh, and it is, it's is—it's an anti-war, war movie, you know. Uh, it was a silent film at one point. It was a sound film in black and white. And you wonder, why are they redoing this? And I think, well, Fast and Furious 99, I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> why does Hollywood remake stuff? They never stop. But this was reimagined in some way, very, very strong. I'm going to couple that with, that was a German film, with a French film called Athena, you guys heard of this film
1: yeah yes yeah have, have it has it? an amazing opening 11 minute
0: yeah shot. <laughs> and the whole film has that momentum it, yeah. you know they get on the scooter and they follow a guy and then they go through a crowd and they hang up on a crane and there's a really really amazing youtube uh behind the scenes thing that covers every category from performance and casting and and uh the, the gangs in this uh housing complex, but the shooting of it was quite astounding. And Roman uh, Gavras, who directed it, is the son of Costa Gavras, who's a French filmmaker, who did a similar, his first film was, or his first big international success was a film called Z, also known as Zed in the rest of the world, uh, a film about Greek uh, street protests and so on. So it runs in the family, I think. But that one really knocked me out for, for directing slash shooting but uh, all quiet on the Western Front. Wow, uh, extremely, extremely well, well-told story. A good story, well-told. That one is that Kahuna enough for you? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh!
1: That is big Kahuna. The kahuna enough is for us. coursing like through kahuna. my veins.
0: To... <laughs> Have you seen All Quiet on the Western Front?
2: No, I, I think it's on Netflix. I think, or it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's on my my watch list. I, I've I've heard only I've heard only good things.
1: Yeah, I still have to get to it.
0: And I've you know I've I watched um, Babylon. Luckily, great movie. At the Academy Screening Room. Yeah, I I I was happy that I could pause oh. and go away for a couple of days. Yeah, uh, yeah it I, was it was kind of
2: okay. I get it. I get it. I, I, I took yeah. three trips to the bathroom in that movie, both because it was long yeah. and I had to pee, and also just that uh, you know this yeah sensory overload maybe. <laughs> um, Parth, do you want to bring us out?
1: Yeah, I, I thank you so much uh, uh, Mark Irwin ASC, CSC, for uh, coming on the show um, he's uh, done the cinematography for such films as Robocop 2, Dumb and Dumber Scream, The Fly and our film for today, 10 Things I Hate About You, um, again, thanks so much for coming on
0: You're most welcome, I have 10 Things I Like About You but uh, oh, uh, we only have two guys to add oh. to think so five Five for each. But thank you, guys. That's I really appreciate you uh, noticing, you know, DPs are usually uh, invisible. So I'm glad you can help me find that vision.
1: Oh, well, it's our pleasure. Uh, it's yeah. what our show's all
0: about. Great. Well, we'll see you in the movie.
1: Wow, Trent! Wow, Parth! That was an interview.
2: Now that was an interview. Sorry, I'm back to checking my TD Bank situation. No, I it, understand. It
1: is not good. No.
2: Psst, paycheck 100 and 11 dollars. Ugh. That's not enough. <laughs> I have needs, you know.
1: Oh, I know all about your needs. Um, but enough of that. Uh, thank you so much. Cinematographer Mark Irwin. Yes,
2: we really appreciate your time. You were a joy to talk to. Super cool guy. Really cool history, and uh, nice enough to chat with uh, me
1: and Parth. Yeah, uh, it was a really cool interview. A great way to start off the Valentine's Day love fest. Yep, but
2: how do love, we love tastic voyage? It? Yes, so this movie featured a lot of love some friendship. People meeting. Pe- Lots of meetups
1: in this movie,
2: right? Yeah, like meet-cutes, like dates. And I think this next movie, it features, like, you know, people who, you know, may or may not start off as friends, or start off as, you know, butting heads, then friends, and then over the course of maybe a 15-year-long story, maybe they'll become lovers. And that part is how... It, That part is how I met your father. Uh.
1: (gasps) We're covering When Harry Met Sally, guys.
2: Um, Um, Classic movie. We've
1: been talking about this for a while.
2: um, We've been looking for a guest. We finally found one.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got assistant director uh, Aaron Barsky to come talk with us. And give some really cool anecdotes about that movie, some other movies he's worked on. He's worked on some cool stuff, guys. Um, so we're gonna split that puppy up into two parts, right? Yeah, we're gonna split that puppy up into two parts. Um, uh,
2: we uh, the, uh, is it a is, is it a bad habit or do, do, do the fans like it? And I, I think no, no, no. I, more, no, no. I think more dependent
1: like, more dependable dosage. I think people like it. I think not having an hour and thirty long minute episode or hour and 10 minute long episode is a favor to the peoples of the world. Yeah. I think people prefer a 30 to 40 minute long episode, you know? Yeah. Um, and puts less pressure on our intros to be super short. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, uh, interviews, you and I were present for that,
2: mm. uh, recorded them together,
1: gone. you and me. Mm hmm. Um, but that but the and situation... we do that we do that for all of our discussions too right all of them We've done all see, of our discussions you and me
2: so you might think that but since it's the love tastic February Valentinecation one day we'll 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 nail down exactly what this uh, sub series is or what this series is called but um no we will actually be discussing these films much like within the films. The, the characters sort of have dialogue with their significant others. We're gonna have a dialogue with our significant others about these movies, which are which is like dialogue between significant others.
1: Yes. So next week, you guys can look forward to me not being on the episode. Trent's gonna have which is full happening for the sec-
2: which is happening for the second time ever. An absent part.
1: Yes. Um, and uh, I've only been absent once. Uh, for, yeah. for the John Wick two interview for the John Wick. Yeah. That was the only time one of us wasn't present for an interview, but I'll,
2: I feel like you've conducted some, uh, I've done some, some intros, I've done an
1: intros without you. Yeah. One. When, I when did, we were I did too a, drunk the other day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and also I think I did an update like quick update with Sophia pretty quick. But anyways, uh point being, uh next week you guys can look forward to Trent and previous friend of the show on the From nope our from, from the
2: Nope discussion, California resident expert
1: Jordan Sick of Sick of foods. I was about to do I was about to say Jordan Sick of Use um because that's what I always say to Jordan is that um Jordan Sick of Use and she finds it hilarious. Friend, compadre, lover Peer. Hmm. Um, uh, These are all things you would call me.
2: Oh. But what um, would you
1: call Jordan?
2: Just a cool gal. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. So next week, it'll be me and a cool gal uh, named Jordan Sikfus from the Nope discussion. And then the week after that, or two weeks. Then you'll have Then you'll have two weeks of the When Harry Metsali discussion with uh, the AD, first AD, um, Aaron Barksy. Banger. Banger alert. Banger alert. Um, Barsky.
1: Barsky. Banger alert.
2: And then, uh, you'll talk to Parth and his cool, cool femme fatale.
1: Femme cool... fatale. That's how cool. Sophia likes to be described. Um, yeah, I'll be talking with Sophia Alexis, previous guest of the show, was on the Gone Girl discussion.
2: Yep. Give it a one
1: out of ten. Maybe you'll find out Two, two one. out of ten. Two out of oh. ten. Come on, let's not be crazy. Um, but um yeah and uh both uh sophia and jordan uh only one episode but several countless intros
2: yes yeah i they find their way into uh in, into our lives it seems
1: yeah i mean we could make the pod better and um not see our significant others as much and sort of just live a secluded life.
2: Wait, now that you mention it, I would sort of be willing to sacrifice some of our relationships if it meant that our podcast quality and listenerhood would increase even by a small percentage. Yeah. So if you're telling me I have to start cutting people off. Yeah, if,
1: that's what I'm saying.
2: Let's start cutting people off, but using more hashtags. Who should we cut off first?
1: I My vote is Sarah Brotman. Oh, I don't care for Sarah Brotman. I'll she say. hasn't
2: even been on the show yet.
1: No, nah, she was on Drunk Pod.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Drunk Pod. Wow. Yeah. Drunk Pod was kind
1: of that was interesting. <sighs>
2: if you record a podcast for two years, at some point, all the episodes just start to blend together. You know.
1: Yeah.
2: All right, Parth. Uh, with that being said, this conversation. I think we're re- is, yeah, it's kind of coming to a close. Yeah. I am starting to forget your name. Perth? Perth?
1: No, Perth is another guy. Parth? That guy's an asshole. Um, Barth? Barth? Barth. Barth. Yeah. Um Darth. Perth <gasps> Vader.
2: You know. Are you enjoying yourself? You have no idea. How much I'm capable of enjoying my
1: own. And, well, this is all good and well about these future episodes, but there's things current listeners of this current episode can do, is there not?
2: Oh, I paused because I could hear street cats in the alley or backyard Causing a ruckus and fighting or hollering or something. But um, yeah, that, uh, needless of that, besides that distraction, um, uh, I think people should listen to us wherever they get their podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, additional examples. But really, if you have a podcasting app, um, we are we're prob- on, it. we're probably on there. So, Craft Services, that's the name, that's the game. If you don't know about it, you're lame. Um, wow. Uh, did you just come up with that?
1: That was good. I liked yeah. it.
2: Yep, um, and so continuing moving forward, uh, you're gonna want to rate the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts five stars, por favor, and then go over write a review, some flattering. You could write verbatim, "Parth is super cool," and mm. hit five stars, even four and a half. And yeah, for we
1: would we would accept four and a half, but four. Come
2: on, remember that one person gave us a four star review. Well, Fuck good. you. What's good? You brought our rating down to four point eight. Everyone, the other fifteen people seem to think we're pretty cool. Um, Tell a friend about the show. Really does help. Uh, Listen to some of our past episodes. Scroll down, see what you can find. Find a movie. Find a movie you haven't seen. Watch it.
1: I think our last year was really good. We had, I think, a lot of. We had Batman. We had Top Gun. Top Gun. We had everything everywhere.
2: Yeah, a um, lot of uh, pertinent, X, pertinent new releases. X bodies, of... bodies,
1: bodies, bodies. Nope, we had a whole, whole bunch.
2: Yeah, and our, and our whole uh, horror, horror spookathon slate was all, all pretty, all pretty, pretty modern, pretty, yeah. pretty cool.
1: Um, and we're, we're looking yeah, forward we're to a, a good. We're looking forward to a good year here at Craft Services. We've got some good things planned. Uh, Trent, I found some email addresses yesterday that I'm. I'm excited to Very talk to Very excited to, to email. Maybe
2: they'll email us back. Yeah.
1: This is the third
2: year of uh, the craft services run, and um, we'll see, right? Just keep yeah, on. we will keep on, see. Keep on keeping on.
1: All right. I think we've done enough of podcasting for today. You think?
2: For today, but.
1: Yeah, for today. But join us but... next week. Yeah. For and, Trent and Jordans. Week,
2: and every week after that. Yeah. People don't know that they're stuck with us. They think that this is a volunteer position.